0: That's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 18. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase, and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increases and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. And our second reading is from the book of Matthew. We flick forwards, it's in the New Testament. We're going to start at chapter 6, Verse 25. So that's Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or, what your bod- or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more vulnerable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, each day has enough trouble of its own. Good morning, friends.
1: It is a, um, it is a sad reason that I am here this morning, but uh, it's very good to see you all. It's a nice surprise. And as Trevor said, it's an uplifting experience for me here too. Let's pray again as we come to God's Word. Our Father in Heaven, we do thank you for the privilege of being gathered together here this morning around your Word. Uh, Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for uh, strengthening our souls. Uh, We pray again for Michael and Natalie, uh, for Chloe and Bronte and Abby, and for Natalie's dad in particular. Uh, Father, please comfort them uh, with the reminder of your goodness to them and your good promises for the future. Uh, Please enable them to stand strong in you. Father, thanks for the uh, reminder of the fragility of life and how we depend on you for all things, uh, even the breath that we breathe. Uh, We pray that you would Uh, remind us afresh as we look at your word together now. Uh, Please teach us to rely on you uh, and to give you glory in all things uh, while we have breath in this world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's a, uh, a challenging question to get us thinking. How much is enough for you? If you kind of could uh, could have a, a dollar figure, any dollar figure in the bank uh, where you could think, yeah, that's enough. I'm satisfied with that. Uh, what would it be? I'll take 10 million. 10 million? <laughs> 10 million? Anyone want to increase that? Do I do we hear a higher offer? 20 million. Might do it for you. I'll
0: take 100 million.
1: 100 million. Yeah. The interesting thing is, no matter how much we have, we feel like a little bit more might just, you know, help. Um, As Christians, what should our attitude be towards material things? The stuff of this life. Now, I'm sure this is not the first time that you've thought about questions like this or wrestled with these issues. Um, It might be something that challenges you every time you make a purchase. Um, at the shops. Um, this week in our growth groups, we asked this interesting question Is it okay for Christians to eat out at an expensive restaurant? Uh, and certainly in our, in our group, we had good discussion, but I've had feedback that uh, there were other groups that enjoyed wrestling through with this question. Um, y- you might notice as I go through here that I have a, a number of illustrations that come. From Michael Plage because I'm working with his notes this morning which were excellent notes so that's good. A few years ago a friend gave Michael a voucher for a very expensive restaurant for his birthday. He went along with Natalie and enjoyed it greatly. Uh, The food was top-notch but as he was sitting in the restaurant he was browsing the menu and just floored at the price of the main courses and he thought i have never paid this much for food in my whole life and he really did feel a bit uncomfortable if this was his money he was thinking would this actually be a god honoring way of spending spending it and as he thought about the question this week there were two christian friends in particular who came to mind for him who he, he thought would answer this question very differently. So there's one man who's a wealthy, godly, Christian man that he knows, and he would definitely say, it is God's good creation to enjoy. Everything I have is from God. I'm going to enjoy it and give thanks to God for it. And he has no problem eating out at expensive restaurants. He does it regularly. On the other hand... Michael has some friends, another godly Christian family, who earn a more reasonable kind of normal income and they believe it's more holy to have less. They haven't updated their household furniture since it was bought in the 60s and would rarely, if ever, treat themselves to luxuries. There's two very different answers to that question. And as Christians, it's right for us to wrestle... With this question, isn't it? We want to honour God with our wealth. We don't want to be greedy or covetous. We don't want to get caught up in the materialism that is just part of the air that we breathe in our world. And so, this part of the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread, is really going to help us. The Lord's Prayer, as you'll know if you've been coming over the last few weeks, is Jesus telling us what is really important in this world. We've already seen God is our loving Heavenly Father. His name is to be hallowed. It is right that it be honoured. We're to pray for his kingdom to break in, in all its glory, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now Jesus turns our attention to what we might pray for ourselves and for one another. So there's three essential things to pray for as we see God's kingdom and His new age come in Jesus, and now as we wait for His return. Now each of these, these three has in particular the overlap of the ages in mind. You know, God's new age has begun, but we continue to live in this fallen world. So there's lots of things we might want to pray for, but here's what Jesus says is most basic. We're to ask, first, for food to sustain us. Second, for the forgiveness of our sins. Third, for protection against the evil one and his schemes. So today, let's turn our attention to the first one. Give us today our daily bread. And there's three key lessons for us to learn from this prayer. First, whenever we pray this prayer, we bring glory to God by acknowledging him as our provider and sustainer. If you've got your Bibles there, come with me to um, Deuteronomy chapter 8, the first reading that we uh, we had there, because this is the lesson that Israel learnt in the wilderness. Moses is speaking to people of Israel, they're on the edge of the promised land, and he's reminding them of the experience that they've had over the last 40 years. God quite deliberately humbled them and caused them to hunger, and then he fed them day by day, with manna. For 40 years, as they wandered around in the wilderness, God provided them day after day after day with this simple food to sustain them. It was like white flakes to turn up on the ground. Tasted something like um, flatbread with olive oil. And every day, they went out to collect the manna that had gathered on the ground overnight God had sent. And God supplied just enough for one day. Can you remember what happened if they they bought more than what they needed? They gathered more than what they needed. It got maggoty and gross. They had to chuck it out. Except on the day before the Sabbath. And then God made sure that it lasted for Two days so they could rest on the Sabbath. Quite extraordinary, isn't it, how, how God um, set it out and they learnt to trust God for their food day by day by day. Verse 3, Deuteronomy 8, says God did all this to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God wanted them to trust him, to trust his promise. I will look after you for today and for tomorrow and for the day after that. To learn that God was trustworthy and so therefore to obey his word. He wanted life to go well for them. That is what life is like if we trust God and obey his word. He wanted them to get to the promised land by trusting his promises. And he graciously sustained them each day so that they would get there. Now it's very important for Israel to learn this lesson before they got to the promised land. Because in the promised land, did you hear what it was going to be like? Have a look. Verse 9, verse verse 8. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. Another place it says, you'll just move into homes that you haven't built. You'll be drawing water out of wells that you haven't dug. It's going to be extraordinary. An abundant land, a land of milk and honey, a land of plenty And so, a great spiritual danger was looming. Did you hear that on the way through? Have a look, verse 12. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and all your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Or down in verse um, 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. It's extraordinary, isn't it? After all this time, they get into a a, a situation of abundance. They'd be tempted to forget God and think, yes, it's me. It's my hard work that's actually brought this about. But it's true, isn't it? This is what human nature is like. God knows what we are like. So yes, wealth and prosperity are gifts from God. Psalm 50 tells us God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 104, every living creature looks to God for its food in due season. It's all good. But in their wealth and prosperity there was a great risk of losing sight of God and his hand behind it all. And isn't that a real temptation for us today? Living in a nation that is as extravagantly wealthy as ours is. It's so easy to look at our two cars on the driveway. Our Extensive homes, our food on the table and in our cupboards, our savings that could potentially last us for years to come and say, look what I have done. Look how secure I am. And sadly, so many Australians do this. In contrast, Michael uh, remembered when he visited Kenya and he saw Kenyan Christians thanking God for their provision day after day. Michael, God has provided our lunch. (laughs) They knew what it was to be hungry from time to time. They knew how fragile those supply lines were and they were much more conscious than we of the daily provision that God brought. Now, we don't often use that language. No, God's given this to us. But their theology is absolutely correct. Our poorer Kenyan brothers and sisters understand that it is God who provides. So as Christians, we need to keep praying. Heavenly Father, give us today our daily bread. This prayer reminds us that our daily needs are our food to sustain us, our shelter, our clothes, all of it comes from God's gracious heavenly hand. And not only that, every time we ask God to sustain us, we are giving him the glory that he deserves because we're acknowledging that he is our heavenly father, that he cares for us, that he is our sustainer and provider. He is the giver of life. Without him I cannot live. I depend utterly on him. And so I need to ask him for all my needs. Well, that brings us to the second big thing we want to learn from this prayer today. Praying this prayer teaches us that God cares for me. Having prayed the big prayers about God's honour and kingdom and his will, we could be tempted to think, well, what about my daily needs? Surely they're too small, too insignificant to be asking God for. No, God cares for us, for our physical needs. He cares for every part of his creation. The second reading we had from Matthew chapter 6... Even the sparrow, even the flowers of the field, he does not stint with them. The the flowers of the field are dressed more gloriously even than Solomon in his splendor. How much more us, the pinnacle of his creation. God loves to give us our daily bread and often he gives us so much more. Our daily needs are not too small or trivial for God. He knows what we need. Here here they are in Jesus' prayer. We need our daily bread to live. And God wants to physically sustain us so that we might take hold of his promises in Jesus and live for him while we wait for the heavenly banquet that is coming. See, poverty and starvation are just as dangerous as wealth and prosperity because they too can distract or prevent us from trusting God and living for him. There's no virtue in being poor, starving. It's not a a sign that you're more holy before God. Asceticism is that belief that the material world is inherently bad and to be avoided. It's taught in Eastern religions like Buddhism or mysticism. Um, And sadly, you do see it in some Christian teaching as well. But the Bible says, holding back from God's good gifts in creation will not actually do anything to restrain our sinful desires. That way of life will not rescue us from our sin. We need Jesus for that. Have a listen, listen to the prayer of Agur in Proverbs chapter 30. It's there in your um, news sheet, um, down the bottom right-hand corner. He's, he's thinking about the best place to be. Listen to what he says. He says, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So he sees both extremes there. There's danger in having too much. There's danger in in having too little. And so he asks, give me only my daily bread. God cares for us. He knows how much we need. Let me read again. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Yes, you are. So we can trust him. The third thing to learn from this little prayer this morning. It protects us against greed. We're asking God to give just enough for today. He might give us much more, for which we will be very thankful. But Jesus is asking us to pray for what we need, not for all we want. Jesus doesn't get us to pray, Lord, please give me my steak and my lobster. Please, please. Expand my fields and my flocks please give me that red Ferrari that I've always wanted now why do you think that is he is the God of all creation this creation is good God certainly gave material abundance to Israel in the promised land he could give us all those things so why don't we ask him for that now To help us answer that, let's just think about the Apostle Paul for a moment and how he lived. Come with me, if you've got your Bibles there, to uh, Philippians chapter 4. It's a curious couple of verses. Why does the Apostle Paul say this? Chapter 4, verse 12, Philippians. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Or if we come back to 1 Corinthians 4, he pushes it even further. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 11. He's talking about the apostles. He says, to this very hour... We go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. There were times when God didn't give Paul his daily bread. Paul lived in a way that meant that he suffered like this. Why did he live that way? Why did he make that kind of sacrifice? Well, one of the reasons is because Paul understood there is a great banquet to come. Paul believed what Jesus said about the fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew chapter 8. On the last day there will be a great banquet and many will come from east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Heaven's going to be the most incredible reality. We will be rich in our relationship with God, rich in our relationship with one another and there'll be the most amazing good gifts from God. Steak and lobster and perhaps even spicy lentils for those who like that. For now, Paul sees the great need of the gospel. He knows that heaven and hell are real. He knows that without Jesus, people are lost forever. That the power of God to save people is in the words of the gospel of Jesus. That one day, we will enjoy God and all his good gifts forever. He's got that in his the foreground of his view and he's prepared to give up other things in order to see that reality come about. He says in Romans 8 verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See, asking God to give us today our daily bread helps us to see the priority of the kingdom of heaven. It protects us against the bad forms of materialism. It reminds us that like Israel, we're not yet in the promised land. We're still in the wilderness, if you like, on the way there. In the wilderness, you travel lean. You give thanks to God for your daily bread. And if there's more than bread, well, we thank God for that too. But now is the time for the gospel to spread, for the kingdom to grow. Now is the time to travel light and not be seduced away by pursuing wealth and all its glittering attractions. Soon is the time when we will enjoy God's gifts in all their fullness. Heaven will be very good. Now it's important to see That Paul never says we should not enjoy God's good creation now. But he is very clear on the priority of the gospel. The great need for people to hear of Jesus now before the coming judgment. And that means that I can give up good things now for the better that is coming. Does that make sense? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, just over a page, Paul puts it beautifully where he calls... Um, where he talks about this time as the present crisis. And he's talking about marriage in these verses from verse 29, but it applies to all of God's good gifts. He says, verse 29, What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they did not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. A helpful illustration that I've heard is to picture a soldier at war. When you're at war, you don't have feasts, you have rations. It's not that feasts aren't good. And when the time comes, well, soldiers, as much as anybody, enjoy the feast, enjoy the peace, enjoy the getting into it. But it's not our expectation when we're in the middle of a war. It's not the norm. And soldiers willingly forego those things because of the greater cause. See, as Christians, we're in wartime. Coming is the final piece, but now we're in the trenches. So I will enjoy God's good gifts as I have opportunity, but I will also willingly forego many of those because the time is short and there are so many who need to hear of Jesus. It's challenging stuff, isn't it? This is very countercultural. And why it's so helpful for us to pray Heavenly Father, give us today our daily bread. Well, as I finish up, I want to come back to those questions we had at the beginning. How much is enough? Is it okay for a Christian to eat out at an expensive restaurant? So to Michael's wealthy Christian friend, I want to say, it's great that you thank God for his creation and enjoy it. Keep doing that, brother. To Michael's other family friends who think it's more pleasing to God to not enjoy God's gifts and who'd never go to an expensive restaurant because they think it's wrong. I want to say, brothers and sisters, all of God's creation is good. It's to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. You're not more holy if you hold back. Enjoy what God has given you. Share it. Give thanks to God for it. But to both of them and to all who are like them, I want to say we know that Jesus has died and risen for us. And there is coming a day when every person will have to give account before Jesus, the judge. And before that day, people need to hear of Jesus and be forgiven. God's called us to take part in that mission. And that's got to shape our priorities. That will take our time. It will affect how we spend our money. That's mean, it means we're going to make sacrifices for the sake of the kingdom. Heaven will be very good. And if I don't get to South America in this life, it's okay. If I don't ever get to see Barcelona play soccer, it will be okay. It'll be hard, but it'll be Okay. <laughs> I am so gripped by God's kingdom that I will willingly give up on good things to see it grow. And as I make those sacrifices, I'm going to keep on praying. Heavenly Father, please give us today our daily bread. Please help me see the world the way you see it. Please sustain me as your name is honoured, your kingdom comes. Your will is done. Let me finish up with a quote from Ross Gittins. Ross Gittins is a really interesting guy. He grew up in a, um, I think it was a Salvation Salvation Army family. Yes, a Christian family. Not sure where he himself stands with it all. But he writes some really interesting things. And uh, this book, Gittinomics, Living the Good Life Without Money, Stress, Overwork, and Joyless consumption. Michael tells me it's a good read. He talks about making choices in life. He's talking about lifestyle choices. Have a listen to this. I suspect there's a lot of self-deception among those who assure us they'd like to spend more time with the kids, but their financial pressures or the particular business they're in just won't permit it. Too often all they're saying is that they wish they could have their cake and eat it. Or they're making excuses to cover up the priorities they've picked. Life is about opportunity cost. We can't have it all. We do have to choose. And often the choices we make reveal our true preferences. It's true, isn't it? What we've seen in Jesus' prayer this morning is an even sharper choice. The one between indulging in God's good gifts or having a kingdom focus that will still involve enjoying and thanking God for his creation, but it also involves sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom where I need to keep on praying, please sustain me, Father. Please today give me my daily bread. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your uh, incredible generosity to us in every way. Uh, Thank you for uh, the physical provisions that you have poured out on us so abundantly in this land. Uh, Thank you for life and health and the ability to be able to work and enjoy the good things that you have given us. Uh, And we thank you for the promises of this amazing new world, this feast that is coming. Um, Thank you for making it possible for us to share uh, in that uh, feast because of the Lord Jesus and what he has done for us. Father, we pray that you would provide our daily needs. Uh, We pray that you would protect us from pride Uh, from greed, uh, from obsessive worry about the things of this life. Because, Father, we are so frail and we are prone uh, to these things. Please keep us safe. Please fix our hearts and minds on seeking first your kingdom. Please use our skills, our minds, our energies. Please use our possessions, uh, all that we have, Uh, for your glory, uh, to grow your kingdom, uh, because uh, we are so thankful uh, for what you have given us in the Lord Jesus. uh, And we pray it all in his name. Amen.